Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. That's one of the things we talked about we were going to be you know, doing more of in the days ahead is it's not just going to be platform kind of down you know, communication, but it's also there's going to be that, and we're going to continue to do that. But at the same time, it's also going to be chair-to-chair ministry going on towards one another. Uh, so we function together as family, that there's certainly responsibilities for the one who has authority in the family, but at the same time, it's an important responsibility for us to mutually care for one another. Um, side to side as well, not just top down. And so um, thanks for that, and hopefully that will be something we'll continue to see the value in you know, in the days ahead. As we continue to kind of unpack some of the changes we began to implement back in September, we began to kind of share with you guys some new ideas and thoughts that we're going to do to kind of take the next step in our movement as a church um, to be a people who are disciples of Jesus, who guide people towards finding life, discovering life in Jesus Christ. And some of the key ways in which we're going to unpack that are very important for us. And we're going to function collectively together as a family of missionary servants. And, and so you'll see here up on the screen in front of you, and hopefully you're just going to continue to see it. There was a handout you received on, on the table when you sat, on your chair when you sat down, that has a little bit of a breakdown of each of these kind of areas that are important for us. What it means to be family, what it means to be missionaries, what it means to you know, be servants and to be able to continue to unpack, you know, that for us. Because for us, life in Jesus Christ can be best discovered when we function fully as a family of missionary servants. That is a essential part of who we are. That's an essential part of what it means to experience life in Jesus Christ, is to function fully as a family of missionary servants. So as you guys have, have seen um, previously, as you have there in front of you, and as you're going to have up on the screens in front of you, there's kind of a diagram that helps kind of describe this, helps to kind of show what it looks like for us to function as a family of missionary servants, that each of the aspects of the life of Christ can be found as we function as a family, as we function as missionaries, and as we function as servants. That if we choose to kind of focus on one or the other, then we end up missing out on an essential part of the life of Jesus Christ. However, something really powerful occurs when we're able to exhibit all three. Then through that, the life of Jesus Christ, the centerpiece right there where all three overlap, allows for the life of Jesus Christ to be on display. And you know what? That's not easy. It's not necessarily going to be easy. There's challenges that come with that. These are challenges that we are going to be able to overcome because Jesus has overcome and he is stronger. And he's going to enable us as followers of him to have what is necessary in order to accomplish this. Because nothing that he has asked us to give anyone else has he not first already freely given to us. And so we're not operating from a place of bankruptcy. We're offering from a place of incredible levels of wealth because we have Jesus. Because we have Jesus, we have the fullness of the life of Jesus Christ inside of us. And so this week, today, we're going to be kind of thinking about what it means to function as missionaries. What it looks like for us to function on mission for Jesus. To be able to embody the life of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was really the first ever missionary. He came to seeking to save those who were lost. He was incarnated to us. We spent time talking about that a lot at Christmas. Not something that's a big deal that Jesus came to us. Last week we read in Philippians chapter 2 how he did not hang on to the equality with God as something to be held on to, but freely released it and took himself, took flesh upon himself and became a servant, ultimately even to the point of death. But Jesus was the first real missionary. He came on behalf of God. God could have sent words, but instead he sent the word to come and make his home among us. He became our neighbor. He became our friend. He became our classmate. He became the person who was with us and showed us what it looks like to experience the fullness of the life of God. And so for us, we want to follow as followers of Jesus. We want to follow in the words and posture 
of Jesus by living incarnationally and pursuing those who have not experienced life in him. To be a receiver of the life of Jesus means that we must be a dispenser, a giver of the life of Jesus. And so our desire is to assist each member of our family, as you look around the room, each member of our family to discover first, to discover the life of Jesus Christ personally, and then freely share it with others. We're simply joining in the, G, in the, the mission of Jesus. We're simply joining in on who he is and what he is about. So his life will then flow freely through us as a conduit of blessing to our closest neighbors and to the farthest nations. Missionaries. Seems like a funny concept and a, an idea that can trip us up. Uh, several weeks ago, Aaron did a great job of unpacking the challenges that may come with the idea of being someone who lives on mission. So I won't repeat that. I would encourage you to go back and listen to his message he preached about a month ago to kind of unpack that uh, for us. And I encourage you to do that. But I do want to read for you some key passages that undergird what it looks like for us as a family of missionary servants to function effectively as missionaries. So I want you to write these down, and I want you to commit to read these throughout this week, okay? To really understand these and and think clearly on these, meditate on these. So it's not just an intellectual exercise, but not only to say, okay, now what is this saying to me, but also what should I feel from this? Not just what is it saying intellectually, but what emotions should this evoke in my life as I read these and as I apply this to my life? Again, so we're not just looking at just the words, but also the posture of the passages. What is the body language that is being communicated through the words at the same time that are being said? And so in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus described his mission. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to seek after all of us, because all of us were lost. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We all fall fall short of his holiness. And he came on a pursuit for us. And he also came on pursuit for your neighbor and the people that inhabit the nations that are farthest away from us. So how do we should we go about doing this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 says this. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, how many of you belong to Christ? Raise your hand. How many of you belong to Christ? Be encouraged by that today. You belong to Christ. So anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So say, say to yourself out loud, I am a new person. Say that with me. I am a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this, by the way, is a gift from God. Isn't that incredible? It's a gift. He's given it to you. You've, you maybe you had a Valentine today. Maybe you did not have a Valentine day. But guess what? God's given you an incredible gift. It's new life. Like that's a, that's, a, that's a gift that keeps on giving. That's an incredible life. That's better than chocolates that are going to melt, okay? Although, as awesome, my son and my wife gave me peanut butter cups today. I love Reese's peanut butter cups. They're awesome, okay? That's great. I love that, and the gesture is kind. But you know, that's going to, that's going to pass away. That's going to be gone one day. Probably today. <laughs> it's going to be gone, as a matter of fact. It's probably going to be gone today. By 1 o'clock, it'll probably be gone. I'm watching my Tar Heels. Beat up Pittsburgh. Probably going to be gone. But you know what's going to happen, though? The gift that God has given us is going to live on. It is going to move beyond anything that this life and this temporal shell, this tent that we live in today, will ever be able to inhabit. It's going to be gone. It says, all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. But we prayed earlier that we would appreciate the extent that Christ has gone to to bring us into his family. This passage unpacks that too. And so God has now given us another gift he's given us. This is a gift that he's given us of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the gift he gave you, right? And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Then Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. One of the very last things that Jesus told his disciples He had lived life with them. He had recruited them. He had developed them. He had prepared them for this moment. He then died. Some of them thought they were abandoned. Some of them were in fear for their lives. Some of them actually recanted their fellowship of Jesus. They were all jacked up. He gathered them all together, this mountain. He says, hey, by the way, guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says this, now go and make disciples. In verse 19, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. 
And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So as he's stepping away, as he passes away, steps up and he ascends back into heaven, he's promising to his people, hey, I'm going to be gone. But hey, remember I told you that I'm going to send a comforter who's going to guide you. He's going to lead you to all truth. He's also, as we're going to see later, he's going to empower you to accomplish the things that I've called you to do. So we read all these important passages of Scripture, and maybe it seems intimidating to consider yourself a missionary. Maybe it seems weird to you. Maybe you have an idea, as Aaron talked about a a month ago, about what it looks like to be a missionary, that it involves you going somewhere really, really far away. And it does. But at the same time, it also means you go really, really close by, into your home, to your roommates, to your classmates, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. That is what it looks like to be a missionary. This is something that people have been doing for 2,000 years. Consider this. If you are a Christian, you said you were were a carrier of the life of Jesus Christ earlier, right? Then someone introduced you to Jesus. It just introduced Jesus to you. Someone made that connection. Someone was a missionary to you. Turn to someone, maybe someone you just prayed with. Say the name of the person. That, that helped introduce you to Jesus. Share that with them, just real quick. Could have been a friend, a pastor, family member, co-worker, a neighbor. So what was kind of the category? Maybe just someone over here, this, this section over here. Someone over here, what was the category of the person that kind of introduced you to Jesus? Was it a family member, a friend, a co-worker? Who was it? A teacher. Who else? Anybody else? Family member? What about you guys here in the middle? Big section. Family? Friend? Pastor? Rebellious pastor. pastor? Aren't we all? The best ones are, at least. What about you guys over here? Friends? Mom and dad. Hmm? Stranger. Stranger. <laughs> very strange. Very, very strange. <laughs> yes. Show up at your restaurant. All of these are, these were missionaries. These are people that were sent by God. And my guess is very few of them were professionally trained. Very few of them went to seminary. Very few of them had alphabet soup at the beginning or end of their name. Very few of them were people that had been as many would assume, would be the ministers of the gospel. They're probably, as you would assume, they were fallible people. You probably saw some of these same people make lots of mistakes. You probably saw, probably saw a lot of these people being broken in different moments of trial and hardship and difficulty. But they were people who God had equipped to be able to and took seriously the opportunity to guide others towards experiencing, discovering life in Jesus Christ. And aren't you so thankful for that today? Take a second and consider what it might have been like if they had not done that. Take a couple seconds and just think about the significance of that incredible gift that they received personally and then passed along to you. Aren't you so thankful for them? I know I am. To be a receiver of the life of Jesus Christ means that we are also a dispenser of the life of Jesus Christ. And where that does seem intimidating and that does seem difficult, that does seem hard, I want you to know that the people that you just thought about and you yourself right now are fully equipped with what they needed and what you need to be an effective missionary. Because we are empowered to do what he has called us to do. Again, you are not operating from a place of deficiency. You're not operating from a deficit. You do not, you're not struggling to figure out where the resource is going to come for me to be an effective missionary. If you are a carrier of the life of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is inside of you to do something really significant. Not just to transform your life from the old stuff to the new stuff, like we read in 2 Corinthians 5, but also to empower you to be able to be effective missionaries. From your closest neighbor to the farthest nations. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 talks about this very power. Jesus said this, again, part of this last conversation he had with his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He says, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How incredible is that opportunity? So the Holy Spirit fills and empowers the life of the Christian. He changes the Christian so that she will be able to care deeply about the same things that Jesus cares about. What happens is the mission of Jesus now becomes the new nature of the disciple of Jesus. And this new power propels us to utilize him in our areas of life. Again, to be a receiver of the life of Jesus comes with a responsibility to be a giver of his life. Say this with me out loud. I am a receiver of life. Therefore, I am a giver of life. You have been given such an incredible gift. You are not operating from a place of deficiency. God has never given an incomplete gift. The gift is a reflection of the giver. And so he has not shortchanged you. He hasn't, he hasn't given you something that you're going to, you know, re-gift and repackage. You're going to receive. And through that, you're going to develop your own gift and you're going to offer someone. In the same way that you've received it. You see, the amazing thing about this gift is when you give it, it's not as if you lose it. If I were to take the peanut butter cups that my wife and son have given me for Valentine's Day and I were to distribute them to you, you know what happened? I would cease to possess them. They are no longer mine. I would not be able to deli- taste that delicious combination of chocolate and peanut butter. And now I would be so disappointed by that. But the amazing thing is, when you're a giver of the life of Jesus, at no point in time are you losing the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, you begin to experience something. Those of you who have done this begin to understand the significance of what I'm talking about because you actually begin to discover a greater level of the life of Jesus Christ as you begin to serve others by giving his life away. Begin to understand him and experience him and understand it and be able to interact with him and with others in another way, in a completely different way. This is what we do when we wake up in the morning to when we lay down at night as we help others discover the life of Jesus Christ. When you put your feet on your bed and you begin, you stand up every single day, you begin, you operate on mission. There are two categories of people on this planet and they are either the mission of Jesus or they are on mission with Jesus. That is the two biblical categories of every single human on this planet. They either came to, to, Jesus came to seek and to save those who lost through us as missionaries, or they are on mission with Jesus, guiding others towards finding life in him. Those are two biblical categories of every single human on the planet. So once we step across that line of faith, then we do accept Jesus, and we begin to believe, and we are empowered with the Holy Spirit. Our mind is transformed. Our life is transformed from, from old to new. As soon as that begins to happen, there's a new work of God that begins to happen in our lives. And for me, I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 13. I was kind of sent off against my will by my godly, wonderful parents who are here with us today, operating as Papa and Mimi, you know, with our son, George. And they sent us off, sent me off to camp. And I didn't want to go. Church was boring. And it was was a list of stand-ups and sit-downs. I wanted nothing to do with anything. And the brilliant salesman that my dad is, he says, you're going to Bible camp. And that was like repellent to me. I'm like, what what are we going to do? Like, what does Bible camp look like? He could have been like, hey, there's like repelling and there's these awesome things. No, it was like, you're going to Bible camp. I was like, you're you're a really good salesman. That was a terrible sales job though. But to recover that, they had my mom teach me pre-algebra in the backseat of the car, a 13-year-old, pre-algebra in the backseat of the car, all the way for five and a half hours. So in my mind, anything is better than this. Just get me out of here. And so I got there, walked through through the door, and something was different. I began to experience something that was unlike anything I had experienced in this world. And it was the life of Jesus Christ being fleshed out by regular, ordinary people. The person that really displayed the life of Jesus Christ for me in that moment was a guy named John Hobbes. And he began to show me what life in Jesus Christ could, could be like. He was the camp pastor at this facility. And I had an opportunity to not only just hear about the life of Jesus Christ, but got to be able to see it. I didn't just get to understand it. I got to see what it feel like to understand what it means to follow Jesus. 
and the power that was on display through these regular, ordinary people became so attractive to me that on Wednesday at that camp, I heard the gospel in my mind. I know I've heard it many other times from my family and from church and other experience, but for that moment, my, I was enlightened. There's something is about that opportunity in that moment in time. That's when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And my life was transformed. In that moment, there was something significant that happened in that moment. I began to think different, began to feel different. I walked outside afterwards from this room we were in, walked outside of the basketball courts. And I would just walked in from the basketball courts. I walked back out. There was another f- church that was there using the same facility. And one of the guys from that church said, hey, like, what are you guys doing over there? And I said, we're talking about Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. Is he yours? My life immediately transformed. It changed. I, I hadn't gone through any programming. I hadn't sat in a gathering. I said, this is how you share Jesus with somebody or whatever else. He's like, no. I was like, well, this is how you do it. And all I knew was that that's just what I just did. Because you know what happened? There was no other, a power inside of me that was different. It had only been about an hour and a half. That's not even enough, a good enough time to cook a good, you know, like crock pot meal. But man, I had changed. There was something incredibly different in my life in that moment. I went home and I started reading the scriptures. I wanted to be around the Bible. I had just seen my dad and my mom. People underline the Bible. And see what I did? I would sit up at night before I went to bed. Every night I'd open up the Bible and I would just read and underline it. It meant nothing. I was just underlining because that meant I'd read it. That's all I wanted to do. That's not true. I wanted to do that. There's lots of other things I wanted to do too. My parents here to keep me honest. And it was not easy. There was a lot of mistakes I made. I probably did more damage for the kingdom of God through high school, trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus. But he was constant because my nature had changed. Before, the things I wanted to do brought delight in rebellion. But now there was a struggle when I rebelled because my nature had changed. And the Holy Spirit's power was unleashed in my life in a way that brought a transforming work. I was not the same anymore. And his power was not propelling me towards selfish deeds, but towards missional deeds. I began to have a, con- a concern for my friends, and I began to share the gospel with them. In my own jacked up way, like I didn't know everything. I knew very little compared to the amount of knowledge I have today, but I knew enough. You know enough. If you've been transformed by the gospel, then you have enough. Because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you towards being his missionary. He's going to enable you to be able to do it. We're simply doing what Jesus did. See, I am now in the family of God, and so I never stop being a son of the king. Never once to us. But at the same time, I never stop being on mission. I never stop being a son. So I never stop being on mission. I can't undo what he has done. I can choose to be miserable in my pursuit of him. By denying the Holy Spirit's power in my life, that is your choice. I've done that. But you never stop being a son. His blood still flows through your veins. So you never can stop living on mission. Because we are just simply doing the things that Jesus did for the reasons that Jesus did them. We're not manufacturing stuff. We're not trying to be coy and cool and slick. We're just simply doing the things that Jesus did for the reasons he did them. We're just being disciples of Jesus. You see, Jesus has been incarnated to us, and now he is telling us to be incarnated towards others. He was sent to us, and so now he, in the same way, is sending us to others. In John chapter 20, in verse 21, he put it this way. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Again, we're just doing the stuff that Jesus has done. We're not reinventing things. Some of you right now are spiritually unhealthy because you have been absorbing everything that God has given. You've been keeping it to yourself. That produces spiritual fat which makes you unhealthy. And the best thing that you can choose to do today is just to be someone that's on mission. Again, you're on mission because you've already received everything you have to dispense. You're operating from a place of deficit. 
You're operating, operating from a place of abundance because you've received Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's power that is living inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that empowers you to accomplish the mission that he has set out for you from the very beginning. In this conversation and this prayer in John 20, 21, Jesus could have been saying lots of things. This is, their, is this prayer over them as, they, as, as he has now um, he has been crucified, he is resurrected, and he's having this conversation again. We've read in Matthew this conversation, reading in Acts this conversation, and here's the conversation in John. In the same way, hey, I was sent to you, so guess what? You are now sent to them. It's Jesus' multiplicative work in our lives. So the Holy Spirit's power, he is able to accomplish things that we cannot do on our own. So he says, just, okay, just as I was sent, so I'm sending you. So we do the things that he did for the reasons that he did them. So a fun little exercise just to do, and I encourage you to do this when you read the Bible, when you read the Gospels. Where did Jesus go? Did he spend all of his time in the temple, in the synagogue? He spent some time there. But where else, where else did he go? What did he do? Who did he spend time with? Who did he not spend time with? And what did he do when he was with these people? What did he do when he would go to these places? How many conversations did he start? How many conversations were started towards him because of the life that was on display through him? How many fights did he pick and how many of them came to him? So the question that we have to think about is how can we have the intentionality that Jesus displayed? Because we're sent in the same way that he was sent. So like, what does that entail? How can we have the same intentionality? I want to introduce to you, and you've heard me talk about this a little bit, but I want to either reintroduce or introduce to you the concept of, 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 of a third space. A third space is, this in a sense would be our first space, our gatherings. Okay? Our second space would be something like our villages. But a third space that we operate in would be some place where the life of Jesus Christ directly connects and is involved in the spirit of this world. It's the place where people that aren't believers in Jesus gather, but also a place where believers of Jesus intersect. That could be your workplace. That could be a third space. It could be your neighborhood. That could be a third space. For me, in addition to my neighborhood, is also like a Starbucks. Starbucks is a third space for me. For about two years, it's been a third space for me. Where I go and I intentionally connect with the baristas and the people coming for coffee and for teas and just for hanging out. People come and gather and spend time having conversations. The same people come about the same time every day. Some sit and spend time and want to have conversations. Others come in and go out very quickly. But it's a third space. It's a place where people were able to discover the life of Jesus Christ. See, the mistake that we have made, I think, as a church, and I think also it's the mistake that the Church of America has made, is we have made third spaces our gatherings our services. We've expected that because of our interactions with people out there, that they would have somehow a desire to come in here. And in some ways, they might have a personal favor for you, or at the best, that's what they do. But the best statistics I've found said that in Palm Beach County, only about 17% of our county will ever come to one of these. And so through our best investments and, 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 and invitations and those kind of things with people out there, which, you know, it's not a bad thing to continue to do. It's not a bad thing. Some people are going to do that. But we've kind of said that if you're going to experience the life in Jesus Christ, then respond to my invitation to come here and hear about it. Instead of what I'm, what I'm advocating for you and think is the incarnational way of Jesus is this third space is that we go to them. And we interact with them, and we care for them. Most of my experiences with people at Starbucks and with our neighbors and every people is they don't have a problem hearing truth. They actually really want to hear it. They just want to hear it from a friend over a meal and not someone with a finger in their chest who they don't trust. 
We understand that Jesus didn't just say these things. There was a posture in the way that he behaved as he was saying these things. And we learn from his ways and how the early church fleshed that out. Whether it's through acts of compassion, whether it's through healing, whether it's through being there for the down and out and caring for those like they did in Rome. They were able to show the life of Jesus Christ in a very clear way, and that made all the difference. It made all the difference. In many ways, what's happening is I have the opportunity to invite them into the life of Jesus Christ by inviting them into my life. So if we are saying that you have to come to this thing in order to experience the life of Jesus Christ, then we are telling about 85% of our county, you guys can just go to hell because you are not into our thing. I don't know about you, but I'm just not okay with that. And that's why last week we talked about how what is going to happen here is not so much judging success, but how many butts are in seats. Rather, how good a job we are doing in being family. As we're functioning as a family of missionary servants, functioning together as brothers and sisters in Christ, under the lordship of our co-heir of Christ Jesus and, our, and God the Father, that's functioning well collectively in that way will enable us to be, have what is necessary to be effective as missionaries in the places that we are going. Knowing that we gather as followers of Jesus and then we then scatter as missionaries for Jesus. And in doing so, we're able to see God transform people's lives in authentic, measurable, and sustainable ways. And so we're not discouraged if we come in here and we don't see the heads that we hope to see or the seats being filled that we hope to be. Our goal of success as we gather is, are we being brothers and sisters towards one another? Am I stimulating each other towards love and good deeds? And through that, the healthy things are going to grow. But it's what I see as I read the scriptures. Much more so than what I see in many ways the American church being today. The reality is that our mission should be done like Jesus did his. We should not do it the way our culture wants it to be done. We should do it, though, in representing our Jesus to our culture. Colossians chapter, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 give us some really, really wise advice for how we interact with people that aren't followers of Jesus. And there Again, there's a general assumption that we're going to be doing this. That we're just going to be living this way. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 4. Verses 5 and 6 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That's how we approach that. That's not describing what we do, but also the posture for how we handle those very important conversations. Because everybody that we come in contact with is somebody's somebody. Somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's mom, somebody's grandparent, and they are an additional part of our family. So, what does it mean to be wise among those who are not believers and to, to make the most of every opportunity? One, we should seek to understand what the people that are not believers in Jesus are saying to us. As I mentioned earlier, um, there's a very small percentage of people that will ever actually come to this thing. Of all the churches in our county, about 17% of our county will actually ever respond to an invitation from that. We live in the most churchless city in the entire United States. Do you realize that? Our region, our area, about a 30-mile distance from West Palm Beach to Fort Pierce, we live in the most churchless area in the entire U.S. So they're saying, like, what you are doing isn't working, guys. Loud and clear, like the community is saying to us, we're not interested in what you guys are doing on a Sunday morning, on a Saturday night, or whenever you offer it. Like, we're not interested in that. It's not working for the non-believer, for those who are not followers of Jesus. There's actually 17% of, our, of that area, between West Palm Beach and Fort Pierce, that have never been to a, to a church gathering apart from a wedding or funeral. In other words, by their own choice. They come to a wedding because they're invited, to a funeral because they want to pay their respects. But the idea of coming and worshiping or hearing more about Jesus, 
They're, they're interested in that. They're just not interested in coming to the thing to experience that. So we must go to them in a gracious and attractive manner. This requires us offering our lives and not simply an event. I just want you to know it's much more difficult. Say to yourself right now out loud, this requires a lot more of me. Say that with me. This requires a lot more of me. I can't just get someone to a thing and sit in a chair. Say it with me again. This requires a lot more of me. But remember, you're not operating by a place of deficiency. You already have more than you need because you have Jesus. You have what you need. He's empowered you to be able to accomplish the things that he has intended for you. It requires more because this is ongoing. Your life is ongoing. Your connection with people is ongoing. Your incarnation is not an event. It is a lifestyle. Living on mission is something we do every day, all day. And some of us have to shake that out of our behavior system because it's something we do on Sunday. That's not the biblical approach. That is not the example of Jesus. It was all day, every day. The shoulders of those we stand on and the greats of the scriptures and the people that we look to in church history, this was not something, an, an event. It was a lifestyle. They were ongoing and they were available. Most of the things we read the scriptures were inconvenient moments. They were on the way to something and an activity happened. They were on the way to something and then this intervened. They were on the way to this and this occurred. It's being ready in a moment to offer a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. Ready to offer it with some levels of meaning and significance. We must become interested in what they are interested in. We must change our preferences and our rights and release those just as Jesus did so that we can display the life of Christ and engage these people in ways that they want to be engaged in. You need to start caring about what your neighbors care about. So what if you don't like it? You need to. It's very possible the name of the person we came up with earlier that, that helps you see life in Jesus, they chose to serve you by finding things that you were interested in. I am not interested in changing my son's diaper at all. He is very interested in me changing his diaper, though. Even those of you who were guided to life in Christ by your parents, I guarantee you there are things that you were interested in they wanted nothing to do with. Because they love you, they care for you. They begin interested in the things that you were interested in. We have to do that. And we also have to be patient with the patience of Jesus. It is his desire that none would perish, but all would come to life in him. We need to be interested in people beyond their initial like pushback towards us or their stiff arm, or they're like not showing for something you invited them to, or whatever it is. Aren't we thankful that we were not interacted that way? Jesus didn't treat us that way? There were several times that now reflecting back, I remember hearing the gospel, I just said no to it. But he was patient with me. He was kind with me. And isn't he still patient and kind with us today? And so he says, just as I was sent, so I'm now sending you. It takes on a lot of layers. It's not just the action of being sent. It's also the manner in which we are being sent. Again, we're doing the same things he did in the same, for the same reasons that he did them. For us, so we said the gathering really isn't the ideal environment for this. Moving forward, villages are going to be the ideal environment for us to accomplish this missionary focus. When we gather here, we're gathering as family. Now, that is, that's not just warm and fuzzy, as you may think it's warm. Like, there's elements that, but it also means we, we talk through difficult things, we work through difficult stuff, we do what family does. All families have their dysfunction, and we're going to have it too. We already do. I'm here. We have dysfunction, okay? 
As we function, though, it should allow for us as a healthy way to have a direct interest in our ministry teams and how we're going to serve one another, talking about next week, and also how we live on mission. It looks like for us to be a family of missionary servants that we're talking about this week. Villages are now kind of the ideal, but you know what? Probably long-term entry point into the life of Discover, into the life of Jesus Christ. In our gatherings, we're going to have some key things that are part of it. The first thing that makes this an ideal place is it's going to be relational. Idea, our, our desire is for people to be welcomed into our lives. For people to be able to, to feel safe movements into us. Because again, you're interested in the things they're interested in. You are genuinely caring about them because Jesus genuinely cares about them. It's not a facade. It's not a short-term thing. It's not only while they're in your home or during a certain amount of time. Like, you're opening your life up to them. Remember, say this again. This is going to require a lot of me. Say that again. This is going to require a lot of me. What we're talking about doing is not a program. This is not going to be easy. But this is, as it looks, for us to be missionaries in our culture. If we keep doing the same things we've been doing, we're going to keep getting the results we've been getting. And right now, our area, not just Discover Church, is not winning. And it's not because the gospel isn't powerful. And it's not because, in many ways, it's not being effectively done. It's that we need to be wise missionaries among our people. Instead of saying, you're going to start liking the things that we like. You need to come in and you need to sit in chairs and listen to music. That's probably not something you want to engage in. And you need to listen to some guy talk that you don't know about a book that you don't really trust. That's going to try and change the things that you, you know what, you've got a pretty good life. And I've got to give up all the other stuff I enjoy right now in life in order to experience a, what you say is a slightly better life than what I'm currently experiencing. That's what we're saying to people. We're saying this is where you need to come in order to experience life in Christ. Whereas Village is saying come into my life and begin to see the differences that are present in my life. There's going to be relationships able to be developed and cared for. So it gives a platform for people to be able to understand what they are hearing because they've already seen it in your life. I'm not advocating to say don't say things. You should say things. You better say things. They have to hear the gospel in order to be saved. They're, that's a requirement, it's to be hearers. At the very same time, they should be able to see it in our life, and it makes sense. They want to hear what it is that you have to say because they've seen it fleshed out in your life. They've seen the way you've handled tragedy. They've seen the way that you've struggled with finances. They've seen the way that you work through your spousal deals or your loneliness. They've seen all of that. They realize that something's got to be different. The difference is Jesus, the life of Christ, on display through our lives. It's going to be interactive. You know, through this relationship, it's interactive. It's going to be, it's it's horizontal communication. It's not top-down. It's interaction amongst one another as we share things that God is doing in our life over over a small scripture that we're able to interact through. It's going to enable you to be able to grow as we hear from one another and also the responsibility to have something to be able to offer up physically, spiritually to one another. We're also going to share this in the context of family as we share a meal together. There's so many people that are just longing to be able to sit around a table with someone that has no agenda, that just loves them. And you get to provide that. Being missionaries isn't just going out and saying things or handing out tracts or going to a foreign country. It's just it's taking the incarnated element of Jesus that we've received and distributing it to those who are around us. Not only is it relational, it's also going to be safe. It's in a home. They don't have to come to like a, a scary place, like a church. <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't know if you have ever had to make some of you, like you grew up in the church settings. Others of you, that was a step you had to take. And it can be scary. Like you've seen movies, you've seen Hollywood's version of what church experiences are like and different things. And that can be really intimidating for people. People go into homes all the time. People also know that how they can leave homes is back out the front door they came in as well. And their kids are going to be loved and cared for. It's going to be a safe place. We're going to share a meal and just have a conversation. It's not going to be churchy, literally, because it's not going to be in a church. It's in a home. And they don't have to contribute to the discussion. They just know that it's available to them. They're not going to be forced. We're not going to pick people and say, you must talk and you must. It's an opportunity for discussion. 
And those of us that are followers of Jesus recognize the missional opportunity by having those that are around us. And so we're inviting people from our third spaces into these villages. That's the first entry point into this life in Christ that we're talking about. It's then to be able to experience that. There's an opportunity to ask questions, to interact with things, things you like, things you don't like about what we just read. And they would have honest conversations about that. And also able to share stories about what your week was like. And it's like, oh, wow, like this person also is struggling in, 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 in fighting with their spouse. Or, you know, this person also has some medical condition issues with their, with their kid. Or, you know, this person also, you know, is, is, is single like me and trying to figure things out. What it looks like to do life like that. But all that's available when we do this because we all have diverse experiences. But all of us in our village have already made a, made a choice that it's not about our uh, preferences, okay, that make us have things in common. It's that we have Jesus in common. Because we have Jesus in common, we are family. And therefore, we have the most important thing in common. And everything else is submissive to that reality. So now we have the most important thing in common in Jesus. And the last thing that villages offer is to be intentional. It's intentional. So what we're going to do over a typical four weeks in a village so you have three weeks that are kind of dedicated towards what I just described to you. Kind of sharing a meal, studying, having conversations, discussions, sharing stories, those kind of things. And the fourth week is something we're going to have as a, as, as a kind of a variable option, okay? Um, and that's going to be uh, we're having a party, okay? Or do something to better our community around us through like a missional thing that we're going to do that week. And it may not be on the same night that we meet or whatever else is flexible in that sense. But of a typical four weeks of our village times getting together, we're going to have three that are going to be dedicated to study and one dedicated to like a party or whatever else. This enables, because remember, it's important. People are open to hearing about Jesus. They just want to hear it from someone whom they trust. They'd rather hear it over a meal and not just a finger in the chest. That may take, it's going to take longer than you want it to. Are you okay with that? Do you love Jesus enough, and do you love this world the way that Jesus does enough to be patient enough for them? Do you care enough to engage in their agenda, or are we trying to force our agenda onto them? This requires patience. This is going to require a lot more of me. But I've been a receiver of the life of Jesus Christ. Because I have been a receiver of the life of Jesus Christ, this means I am now a dispenser of the life of Jesus Christ. I have been bought with a price. I am no longer the owner of my life. I am at best a steward of my life. Jesus is my owner. And he gets to dictate what I do. That's going to be really, 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 really challenging for us. But see, as we function together though well as a, as a family, that gives us the opportunities to be able to work it out collectively in here and enable us to be successful in these places out there. So we come in and gather as the church, and then we go scatter as the church. Because people need that. They need you. And God has equipped you to be effective in all of these places of ministry and opportunity around you. You're not operating from a place of deficit. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead empowers you into all of your places and all of your third spaces and all of your relationships and all of your different opportunities that are around you. And he's going to do that through your unique personality, empowered by his Spirit, with accomplishing really spectacular things for him. And you know what that may mean? That may mean one person that has been short-circuited and passed by by so many others. You might have been that person. Aren't you glad somebody didn't bypass you? I don't say that to guilt you. It says the opportunities are so abundant before us. And so today, the band is going to come forward. 
and they're going to play a song over us. At the very same time, we're going to receive the elements as we're going to be doing it weekly now by receiving the Lord's Supper. One thing I want to encourage you to do is to own up to where this may not be right in your life in order to properly receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. For us to function faithfully as a family of missionary servants, to function today and think about what it looks like for us to be on mission with Jesus. You are alive today as a follower of Jesus. You are alive today to be on mission for Jesus. That's what you're alive for. And through that, we raise our children. Through that, we work our jobs. Through that, we marry. Through that, we you know, serve our community around us. But first and foremost, everything we are alive to accomplish today is for the mission of Jesus. He's already done the heavy lifting. This is his body, which has been broken for you. This is his blood that's been poured out for you. We remember him for all he has done for us. We also look forward to his coming. And it's my prayer and my deep expectation that because of our conversation we're having today and by the way that you're going to live life going forward from here, that there will be many more that will be able to meet Jesus in the air upon his return. Because you're not just going to be a hearer of the word of God today. You're going to be a doer. And through that, you're going to experience the life of Jesus Christ in a way that you have never experienced him before. So Father, will you do something in us? This is just bread. This is just juice. There's something powerful about it as it's consecrated before you. Will you do something in our life that we could not do in our own? Will you speak to us today? Will you transform our lives, renew our minds, to understand what your good and pleasing and perfect will is for our lives? And then will you give us the boldness necessary to realign our lives, to be centered on your truth, to be centered on your ways, be centered on your purposes for our life. This is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. We thank you, though, that you've already done all that's necessary. We're operating from a place of abundance today because of all that Jesus has done for us. And now we share in the wealth of what Jesus has offered. We pray these things in his name.